The Radio Memories Network is brought to you in part by Liberated Syndication. Podcast publishing made easy. Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Radio Memories Network welcomes you to the earliest days of radio. All this is still ours today through the Radio Memories Network. It's now time for Radio Drama, where we perform on the stage of your mind. The curtains are your eyelashes, your hat our fly space. Different parts of your brain are the costume, set designer, and makeup artist. And your eyes are in your ear. Audio plays have been broadcast since radio began. Minus, 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 minus. One. One. Join us as we continue the tradition on the Texas Radio Theater. Blue Proton Space Ranger! And the Whisper. It means murder, Watson. Onward to adventure! Away! Because it's not only the theater, but it's the theater of the mind. The mind! And that's what I'm writing Jump, Rob. Ready for impact in three, two, one. <clears throat> Tying on the rope now. It's the realm of your imagination, where anything can happen, and usually does. Welcome to this week's broadcast of the Texas Radio Theater Company. Hi, I'm Rich Froelich, and this week, a Sherlock Holmes radio play recorded by the Texas Radio Theater in 2002. Well, tonight I've decided to tell you the story of the Red-Headed League. One day, uh, it was during the autumn of 1890, I burst in upon my old friend to find him deep in conversation with a stout, florid-faced gentleman with the fiercest red hair it's ever been my privilege to observe. I was about to withdraw when Holmes pulled me abruptly into the room and closed the door behind me. Come in, my dear Watson, come in. You couldn't have possibly come at a better time. Oh, but Holmes, I was afraid you might be busy. Oh, so I am, my dear fellow. Uh, allow me. Mr. Wilson, this is my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? How do you do? Uh, sit down, Watson, sit down. Thank you. Uh, I know how you share my love of the bazaar, Although you've never agreed that for the oddest effects and most extraordinary combinations, we must go to life itself. Uh, truth is uh, stranger than fiction, as it were. Well, you know, I... Well, uh, Mr. Jabez Wilson here has just started a narrative which promises to be the most singular I have listened to for some time. Oh, dear me. And now, my dear Mr. Wilson, perhaps you could uh, have the great kindness to recommence your story. Oh, certainly, Mr. Holmes. As soon as I can find that newspaper clipping, where did I put it? I could have sworn it was here in the pocket of me great coat. Well, Watson, while we're waiting for Mr. Wilson to find his missing newspaper advertisement, suppose you tell me what you deduce from his appearance. Oh, well, now, uh, let's see. I would say that he's uh, middle-aged, if you don't mind me saying so, Mr. Wilson, (laughs) and uh, he has red hair. Oh, obvious, Watson. Too obvious. 
I'll come to your assistance. No. He has at some time done manual labor. He's a Freemason. He's been in China and has done a considerable amount of writing recently. Well, Mr. Holmes, you've given me the creeps. Are you one of them mind readers? Oh, no, indeed. Then how in the name of good fortune did you know all that about me? About the manual labor, for example. It's as true as gospel. I began as a ship's carpenter. Your hands, my dear sir. Your right hand is quite a size larger than your left. The muscles are more developed. As for the Freemasonry, you wear a square and compass tie pin. Oh, yeah, I see that. But, but the writing, how did you know about that? What else can be indicated by your right cuff being so very shiny and the left sleeve with a smooth patch near the elbow where you rested it on the desk? Well, uh, how about China? The fish that you had tattooed immediately above your right wrist could only have been done in China. That trick of staining the fish's scales a delicate pink is quite peculiar to China. And in addition, when I see a Chinese coin hanging from your watch chain, the matter becomes even more simple. Well, I never. At first, I thought you'd done something clever. But now I see there's nothing to it after all. I begin to think, Watson, that I may have made a mistake in explaining. Omne ignotum pro magnifico, you know. Oh, oh yes, um, everything unknown is... Um, is yeah. taken for magnificent, yes. In other words, my poor little reputation, such as it is, will suffer shipwreck if I am so candid. Uh, have you found the advertisement, Mr. Wilson? Yes, I've got it now. It was in my watch pocket. This is what began it all, sir. You just read it for yourself. Uh, Watson, suppose you do that for us. Yes, of course. A pleasure. First, uh, make note of the paper and the date. Why, it's the Morning Chronicle, uh, July the 27th, 1890. Uh, it was just two months ago. Very well. Proceed with the advertisement. Uh, it begins, uh, to the Red-Headed League, on account of the bequest of the late Ezekiah Hopkins of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, USA, there is now another vacancy open which entitles a member of the League to a salary of four pounds a week for purely nominal services. All red-headed men who are sound in body and mind and above the age of 21 years are eligible. Oh, that's very odd. Apply in person on Monday at 11 o'clock to Duncan Ross at the offices of the League, 7 Pope's Crown, Fleet Street. Oh, dear me, Holmes, what on earth does this mean? Well, I think I promised you that this case was bizarre. Uh, now, Mr. Wilson, if you'll continue with your story... Well, it's just about as I was telling you, Mr. Holmes. I have a small pawnbroker's shop at Coburg Square. Of late years, business has been pretty bad. I used to be able to keep two assistants, but now I only keep one. And I'd have a job to pay him. Only he's willing to come for half wages so as to learn the business. Obliging youth. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Vincent Spaulding. And I couldn't want a smarter assistant, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I know he could easily earn twice what I'm able to give him. But after all... If he's satisfied, why should I put ideas in his head? Why, indeed. Uh, well, your assistant seems to be as remarkable as your advertisement. He only has one fault, Mr. Holmes. Photography. Snapping away with his camera and then diving down into the cellar like a rabbit into its hole to develop his pictures. Amateur photographer, eh? Uh, he's still with you, I suppose. Oh, yes, sir. An observing young fellow he is. He was the one who brought this advertisement to my notice. It was just this day, eight weeks, when he rapped on my office door with this very paper in his hand. 
Come in, come in. Mr. Wilson, sir. Oh, it's you, Vincent. What's the matter with you? You look excited. Well, I wish to the Lord, Mr. Wilson, that I was a red-headed man. Oh, why's that? Look here, sir, what it says in this paper. There's another vacancy in the League of the Red-Headed Men. Oh, it's worth a pretty penny to him who gets it. The Red-Headed League? I've never heard of it. Never heard of the League of the Red-Headed Men? Oh, Mr. Wilson, and you eligible for one of the vacancies? Huh? Well, well, what are they worth? Oh, merely a couple hundred a year. <sighs> but the work is slight, and it needn't interfere with one's regular occupation. A couple of hundred pounds a year, you say? Here, let me see that paper, young man. See, near as I can make out, the league was started by a millionaire named Ezekiah Hopkins. A red-headed man himself, he was. He left his fortune in the hands of the trustees with instructions to provide easy births to men who had red hair. And from what I hear, the work isn't difficult. Yeah, but there must be millions of red-headed men. Ah, oh, not so many as you might think, sir. You see, it's confined to Londoners. Oh. Then again, it's no use if your hair is light red or dark red or anything but real blazing fire red. They've got to pick the reddest air they can find. Oh, if there's a redder red of air than mine in the length and breadth of London, I'd like to see it. Well, I have seen a few that I consider redder. Nonsense! Here, where's me at? What are you going to do, Mr. Wilson? I'm going around to apply to that vacancy. If it was raining gold, no one can say that Jabez Wilson is a man to go out with a sieve. And did you get the job, Mr. Wilson? I did that, Mr. Holmes. There wasn't a head of air that could touch mine for redness, if I do say so myself. <laughs> there were thousands competing. And uh, what was the work? Oh, purely nominal, like the paper said. And he paid four pounds a week, regular as a clock. Uh, all I had to do was to sit at a desk in an office at that address there from ten to two and copy out bits from the encyclopedia. Hmm. Educational benefits as well as remuneration. How long did this work continue? Uh, well, about eight weeks. I was pretty well through with the A's, Abbots, Archery, Architecture and the like. Then suddenly it came to an end. I went to my work, ten o'clock as usual, and the door was shut and locked and a card was nailed on the door. What did it say? The Red-Headed League dissolved September 27th, 1890. Oh, I say, Holmes, that's today. This very morning it was, sir. Well, I lost no time trying to find the man that hired me. Four pounds a week is four pounds, you know. You say you tried to find the man that rented the office? Yes, sir. I inquired from the renting agent, and he gave me the man's name and said that he'd moved to a new address. You went there, of course. Yes, sir. Well? Well, when I got to that address, it was a, a manufacturer of artificial kneecaps. Oh, dear me. What will they think of next? No one had ever heard of the red-headed league. Uh, so, so then you came straight to me... Yes, sir. I thought it best not to lose any time. Quite right. Uh, by the way, Mr. Wilson, this uh, assistant of yours, Mr. Vincent Spaulding, how long had he been with you when he called your attention to the Red-Headed League? Oh, about a month. How did he come to you? In an answer to an advertisement. Was he the only applicant? Oh, no, sir. I had a dozen or so. Why did you pick him? Well, because he was handy and would come cheap. At half wages, in fact. What's he like? Uh, small. Stout-built and very quick in his ways. No hair on his face, though he's not short of 30. Oh, and he has a white splash of acid on his forehead. I thought as much. Have you ever noticed his ears are pierced for earrings? Why, yes. He says a gypsy did it while he was a lad. Watson, what day of the week is it? Why, it's Saturday, of course. Saturday. Oh, dear me, so it is. Well, Mr. Wilson, I think I may promise you some startling developments by tonight... In the meantime, Watson, I suggest we drop around sometime this afternoon to view the attractions of Saxe-Coburg Square. 
Mr. Wilson's exemplary assistant in particular. Well, here we are, Holmes. This seems to be Saxe-Coburg Square. Hmm. Shabby, genteel little backwater of a place. This, I fancy, is our friend's shop. A four-story building with the three gilt balls over it. Yes. The square itself seems fairly uninteresting, eh? Yes, very depressing. Let's see what street backs onto it on the other side. Uh, come along, Watson. Uh, I can't see what difference the next street can make to our problem. If it is a problem, the whole thing sounds more like a practical joke to me. Uh, a practical joke which costs its perpetrator four pounds a week? Nonsense, Watson. No man's sense of humor resides in his pocketbook. Well, this street seems to have more life. It's one of the chief arteries leading to the north and west. But what's the order of the houses here? Order? Yes. It's a hobby of mine to have an exact knowledge of London. First we have Mortimer's, then the tobacconist, the little newspaper shop, the Coburg branch of the city and suburban bank, the vegetarian restaurant, and McFarlane's carriage building depot. Yes. Uh, now we can go back to the shop of our friend, Mr. Wilson. What's the hurry, Holmes? Don't walk so fast. I've found out all I need to know here. Holmes, you act as though you were taking a memory course. Why should you want to know all the shops on that street? It's just a waste of time. Nothing that exercises the brain is a waste of time, my dear Watson. The trouble with most of us is our brains have become flabby with lack of proper use. No, rubbish. Well, here we are, back again. Why are you thumping on the pavement with your cane, Holmes? If you want to enter the shop, why not just knock on the door? Yes, uh, quite so, Watson. I'm afraid my etiquette has been a bit faulty lately, so just to please you, I will knock on the door. See? Someone's coming on the double. Yes, it looks like our bright-looking assistant. Oh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Won't you step in? Uh, thank you, no. I only wish to ask you how to go from here to the Strand. Third right, fourth left. Smart fellow that, eh, Watson? Well, I see no signs of a colossal intelligence. No, well, nevertheless, he is, in my judgment, the fourth smartest mind in London. And for daring, I'm not sure if he's not the third. I see nothing startling about him. The knees of his trousers, Watson. Did you notice? Well, uh, what about them? Most enlightening, my dear Watson, most enlightening. All oh, this is so much balderdash. I've just about had enough of it. I'm going to have myself a cup of coffee and some cake. There's an appetizing bake shop across the way. Very good, Watson. Suppose you meet me back here at ten tonight. Sharp, mind you. And kindly put your army revolver in your pocket. No. This business is serious. More serious than even I expected. I say, Holmes, it's ten o'clock now. How long do we have to stand here in this confounded rain? 
I'm soaked to the skin. Until the other member of our party turns up, Watson. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Here comes a cab. And I think he might be in it. Yes. Good evening, Mr. Merriweather. Look here, Holmes. Why'd you have to drag me out on a night like this? A Saturday night, too. I shall miss my whist drive. The first Saturday night for seven and twenty years that I've not had my game of whist. My dear Merriweather, I think you find that tonight you're playing for higher stakes than you have ever been accustomed to in your card games. And I can promise the play will be more exciting. Oh, indeed. Come. We must hurry. No, I say. Oh, oh, I beg your pardon. Uh, This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. Oh, good evening. How do you do? This way, gentlemen. But where are we going? Mr. Wilson's shop is here on the square. Stop burbling, Watson. Follow me and don't waste time. In your message to me, Holmes, you said something about John Clay, the murderer, thief, and forger. John Clay? Who is he? John Clay is one of our most colorful and dangerous criminals. A young man, but at the uh, head of his profession. I'd rather have my bracelets on him than on any criminal in London. I heard that his grandfather was a duke, and he himself had been educated at Eton and Oxford. Yes, He'll crack a crib in Scotland one week and be raising money to build an orphanage in Cornwall the next. We've been on his track for years, Mr. Holmes, but we've, we've never set eyes on him. Well, I trust I may have the pleasure of introducing you tonight. Ah, here we are, down this narrow passageway. You better let me go first. Look here, Holmes. I don't like the looks of this at all. This passage slopes down almost underground. It gives me the creeps. Ooh, I say, I've run into something. Oh, a wall, I fancy. I, I forgot to warn you, there's a turn here to the right. Oh, yes, I found that out. Thanks so much. Ah, here's the door. Just a moment while I light my shuttered lantern. There. Now, Mr. Merriweather, if you'll unlock the door for us... In just a moment, let me find my key. Uh, Here we are. You better let me go first, just in case we're too late. Yes, the coast seems clear enough. Come along, both of you. Holmes, I don't like the look of this place. Your lantern shows such weird shadows. Smells like a vault. It is a vault. The basement of the suburban and city bank, to be exact, of which our friend here, Mr. Merriweather, is president. What are all those wooden crates along the wall? They explain why the most daring criminal in London has taken such an interest in this particular place. Yes, Dr. Watson. These crates contain our French gold. French gold? Quite. You see, we had occasion some months ago to borrow 30,000 Napoleons from France. France? Of all things. Most of which has never been unpacked. Rather an inducement for any thief. Oh, really, Mr. Holmes? I think you're rather unduly excited. After all, the building is guarded by ten burly watchmen. 
Yes, I dare say you're not particularly vulnerable from above. Nor from below, Mr. Holmes. Nothing but solid earth below these flagstones. Listen to this. Don't do that, Mr. Merriweather. But... Uh, you want to ruin all our plans? But, but look here, I say it did sound not hollow. Not so loud. Please. I think we had better take up our positions. You, Merriweather, behind these boxes in the corner. Watson and I will hide behind this crate. I hope you appreciate the honor, my dear Watson. This crate contains no less than 2,000 gold Napoleons, neatly packed in tinfoil. Good heavens. Ready? We must put the screen over my lantern. And sit here in the dark? Certainly. Oh, dear. And I brought a deck of cards with me. I thought we might have time for a three-handed rubber. Not tonight, Mr. Merriweather. We're dealing with a dangerous man. Unless we can take him at a disadvantage, he may do us considerable harm. One more thing. When I flash my light, Watson... Yes? Close in swiftly. If he reaches for his gun, shoot. And shoot to kill. Oh, dear me. I wish I'd stayed at home. Quiet. I'm going to cover the light. I say... Mr. Holmes, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. I'm beginning to imagine all sorts of horrors sitting here in the dark. Quiet, Merriweather. Holmes, did you hear that? Look, there in the middle of the floor, a slit of light. Look. Holmes! Someone's raising one of the stone slabs. Look! There's a hand. Catch his hand before he can pull himself through the opening. Righto. Quick, Watson, look out! He's got a knife! Get your hands off me! No, you don't! Well done, Holmes! Well done! You've knocked him out. Oh, good. Drag him up here. Now, Mr. Merriweather, if you'll give us some light. Of course, of course. Let me get over onto your lantern. Uh... <clears throat> oh, that's better. I say, Holmes, it's that Vincent Spaulding chap, Mr. Wilson's assistant. Spaulding? Rubbish. This is John Clay. One of the most dangerous criminals in London. I've been after him for years. Help me search him, Watson. Oh, no. Look out, Holmes. He's coming, too. Take your filthy hands off me, you scarecrow. Here now, none of that, you. You may not be aware that I have royal blood in my veins. When you address me, have the goodness to say, sir, and please. Oh, very well. Uh, will you please, sir, march yourself upstairs, sir. 
where we can hand you over to the policemen who are anxiously awaiting your highness's arrival. Let me quick about it! Would you care to have another spot of whiskey, Watson? <clears throat> oh, thanks. Hmm, it feels good to get into dry clothes again after sitting around in that cold cellar for hours. Not so much, Holmes. Do you want to drown me? I say, Holmes, when did you first begin to suspect that fellow Spaulding? Uh, I mean, Clay. When Wilson told me that he was willing to work for half price. Always suspect anyone or anything that comes too cheaply. There's sure to be a motive behind it. But uh, how did you guess what the motive was? In this case, I mean. Well, had there been women in the house, I should have suspected a mere vulgar intrigue. That, however, was out of the question. The man's business was a small one, and there was nothing in his house which could account for such elaborate preparations. Mm, of course. It must then be something outside of the house. So what could it be? I thought of uh, assistance fondness for photography and his trick of vanishing into the cellar. The cellar. There was the end of this tangled clue. And why was someone so anxious to have our friend Mr. Wilson kept out of his shop for several hours every day? Activities in the cellar again. So he spent all that time in the cellar? Yes. Uh, by the way, that red-headed league hoax is one of the cleverest dodges I've come across in some time. Too clever, in fact. When I heard of it, I knew there was only one man who could have originated it. John Clay. We've had our skirmishes, but this is the first time that we've come face to face. So that's why you went around to have a look at the shop. At his trousers, Watson. At the knees of his trousers, to be exact. What? You saw how worn and wrinkled they were. They spoke of hours of burrowing. Burrowing in the cellar. But what for? By tapping on the pavement, I found that the tunnel did not stretch out into the front. Where, then? We strolled round the corner, you'll remember, and there stood the city and suburban bank abutting our friend's pawn shop. Mm, of course, yes. The inference was clear. But how did you guess that he would make his attempt tonight? Elementary, my dear Watson. The officers of the Red-Headed League closed this morning. Mr. Wilson's absence was no longer necessary. The tunnel was completed. But it was essential that Mr. Clay should use it soon, for it might be discovered. Tonight being Saturday would be ideal, as it would give him two days for escape. QED, there you are. No, your reasoning is perfect. A long chain, and yet every link rings true. Oh, it saves me from ennui. At last, I already feel it's closing in upon me. My life is spent in one long effort to escape from the commonplaces of existence. These little problems help me to do so. You amaze me, Holmes. Well, perhaps, after all, it, it is of some little use. L'homme c'est rien, l'oeuvre c'est tout. As Gustave Flambert wrote to George Sand, a man is nothing, his work is everything. You're listening to the Texas Radio Theater, and you heard The Red-Headed League, an audio play based on the short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, 
and an adaptation by Edith Miser. It was recorded in front of a studio audience in Arlington, Texas, November 2002. It featured the voice talents of Bill Flynn as Sherlock Holmes, Gary Layton as Dr. Watson, Kevin Nash as Jebez Wilson and Mr. Merriweather, and Jess Price as Spaulding. Ken Rainey and Hida Padiar provided live sound effects. The Texas Radio Theater Company, in cooperation with the Arlington Museum of Art, streams and performs modern audio theater in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. If you'd like more information about our group, you can log on to our website at texasradiotheater.com. Hope you enjoyed listening. I'm Rich Froelich, and on behalf of our cast and crew, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.